This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us and hopping on to the bus or BTPC at 4 p.m. But unlike the, the song Hotel California, you can check out anytime and you can leave anytime. But we hope that God's word will actually be attractive to you and that you want to come back. Uh, we'll have podcasts for what we preach here. But what you'll miss out if you kind of miss out a week is you might miss out on the Q&A, which will not be on the podcast perhaps. Um, but that's the, the time where people can just shoot their questions and really engage it with, with life and with reality. There's another thing we believe in God's Word is that God's Word is transformative, that it actually transforms us. Because if we do not believe that God's Word can transform us, we might also don't read God's Word because it would just be another literature. But because we are cons- we're convinced that God's Word can transform, we believe that God's Word uh, is worth listening to because it has the wisdom to teach us how to live and it has the power to rescue us from the life after what we have. At the moment. So let me begin this morning by looking at the most appropriate book you can think of, which is the first book of the New Testament in the weirdest uh, chapter you can have, the whole long list of family tree of Jesus. Um, This family tree of Jesus is um, set into three movements. I'll show you again later. If you look at verse 17, uh, there's another trick we have. Now we have the passage on your on your bulletin, and in fact, we have the the outlines in the bulletin, which you can you, you realize there's no space for you to write. You have to write it in the booklet, but that's where you can get some hints on that, and you can draw on that as you engage with God's word. So, as you look at today's passage, the genealogy is actually split into three movements. Um, each of the movements are in 14 generations. Okay, what does this have to do? With us, you may say, uh, this whole weird long list of genealogy. You know, actually, a lot of us who are Chinese, genealogy is something that is not uncommon for you. Um, for some of us, we might even have our names fixed. The first one is your family name. The second, some of us might even have your middle name fixed for you because of generation. I don't know if you all have this. Uh, my family, we have, like, if I see a relative, I know which generation he is because of the middle name. And uh, until my kids' time, we have trouble because their middle name is Salt. So anything I put after that is either salty, uh, salt, salted water, uh, salted meat, bacon. You know, it, it's very hard to fit in, but you get a picture that genealogy has something that is very special. And it is very special to the Jews. You just imagine for a Jew that when a Jew does not have a genealogy, he says, I want to be a priest. And the, the people say, show me your genealogy. I say, we have none. I say, sorry, you can't. You come to a piece of land and say, ah, this piece of land belongs to my dad. I say, what is your genealogy? I, have, I can't remember. Sorry, you can't have it. Because everything is based on genealogy. And even more so that when we talk about genealogy, to ask what science tries to prove um, and can't prove is, can science prove that China is 5,000 years? Not really. But what science cannot prove, and is not designed to prove, genealogy as part of history or historical accounts reveals to you that this person do exist. So genealogy is a very interesting thing, in fact. It is not just about um, lines and lines of people, because each person that you see in a genealogy is a story. 
Each person you see in a genealogy has a promise, has a hope, and it links down to the person before and links to the person after. So genealogy really has a very rich and precious thing that the Jews are treasure. And some of us, we treasure too, if you uh, hold on to genealogies in your family. So this morning, as we look at Matthew 1, I want to follow the three movements of this genealogy of Jesus, or family tree, if you like to use that word, that Matthew has intentionally broken down for us. I would like to invite us, actually, as we look at this, to look through the lens, not of a Singaporean, but through a lens of a Jew, because then you'll start to appreciate the beauty of this genealogy, and it's not just a whole list of names. In fact, for a first century Jew, when he reads from verse 2 to verse 12, there's a small number in, in the passage, what they see is not just, oh, this is the genealogy of Jesus. When they saw verse 2 to 12, what they see is the whole story of the Old Testament from the beginning of Abraham up to the page before Jesus appears. Because that is the story of Israel. So they will tell you that as a Jew of the first century, if you're a first century Jew, if you look at this page, they say, this is a story about us. No, but as a Singaporean, this question might come. No, Andrew, what has their genealogy got to do with me, right? I'm here 2,000 years later. Let me give you a story. Imagine you have a BBF, right? What's a BBF? Your best friend, oh, BFF, is it? Best friend forever. <laughs> Big friendly, no. Okay, best friend forever. You know I don't use that term. Okay, you have a BFF and you, goes to, you go to his house and you see he got a stack of old photos and some script paper. Ah, these are just a script group of things. And then he comes along and says, hey, don't, don't, don't spoil those things. Don't lose them. They're actually my genealogy that I'm linked to the first emperor of China. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Suddenly the script piece of thing is no longer just script stuff. They are precious. And you being the BFF, suddenly you realize, I have no idea being related to the first emperor has got anything to do or any value to it. But if there is, I'm the best friend. I'm going to get some value out of it. Um, in fact, I met a friend, or somebody, acquaintance, when I was in, I think, Perth or somewhere, that he says he could trace himself to the last emperor of China. But it didn't seem to have much value, so I didn't remember his phone number. Um, but here, as we look at the genealogy, I want to suggest to us that at some point, although it's a Jewish genealogy, at some point it intersects with the storyline of you and me. In fact, at some point, this genealogy will intersect with the story of the world. So this is where we are heading, and I hope you got your seatbelt on, and we'll go from there. Uh, I've broken up into three movements, or three actions. The first one is from Abraham to David, where Jesus is called the son of Abraham, as how um, Matthew calls it. In fact, let me read verse 1 of Matthew 1 for us, because this will be a key verse for us to look at this whole thing. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, let me read this for us. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What Matthew is saying from this very first verse of this very first book and this very first chapter is this, that Jesus is the promised son of a man called Abraham. And then he said, Jesus is the son of a man called David. And then Jesus is the promised son 
who will be the Messiah that will rescue people. This is the claim of Matthew, and we're going to look at it together with me, uh, together on this. So, if you're ready, look at verse 2 to verse 5 with me, where they start to describe Jesus to be the son of Abraham. Now, in this story, genealogy, it begins with the naming the forefathers of the people of Israel. In verse 2, they are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and each of these three carry stories, amazing stories in the Bible. But why does Matthew write that Jesus is the son of Abraham and not Jesus, the son of Isaac or Jacob? I think the reason is this, that if you are wearing a Jewish lens that you have put it on, you will quickly remember that Abraham is arguably one of the most important person in the Jewish history. In fact, in this first movement, he is the most important person because God has given Abraham a promise. He gave Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise in the first book of the Bible, which is the Old Testament in Genesis. Uh, let me read to you what God said to Abraham and see how it links to us. It's taken from the 12th chapter of Genesis, which is the first book of kind of the Old Testament. But let me read this to us. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your family's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And look at this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me just read that last sentence for us again. God said to Abraham, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God called this man Abram, or also known as Abraham, that out of you, your offspring, this whole world, or all peoples on this earth, will get my blessing. But how does it work? God adds on later in this same book, just to clarify a little bit more, by saying this. Let me read verse 17, 18 of the same book, but 22nd chapter. Uh, he says this, God says this to Abraham, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And look at this, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So right from the beginning of history, God promised to Abraham that his offspring will bless all nations. And God proved that to Abraham. He, he did this by proving to Abraham. When Abraham was a hundred years old and his wife was 90, God gave him a child. In fact, the child is called laughter. That's what Isaac means because hundred years old, having a child that will spread into a nation. And this miraculous child was the very reason why Israel today exists. Because if God had said, Abraham is going to bless you, and he didn't have Isaac, in the Middle East we wouldn't even hear of such a thing as Israel or Jews. But it has carried on. And that came because of one child that was born to Abraham at 100. So God's promise to bless the nations began. So from Abraham, and you realize to his sons of Abraham, meaning the generation after generations, they are taking steps and slowly revealing God's promise to the world. 
So he had the son Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, grandson of Abraham. His name is actually called Israel. And out of Israel will come the 12 tribes of Israel. If you uh, are wearing your specs of a Jew, that's your genealogy. All right. And during that time, there was a famine. So Jacob and his family, a small family at first, they went to Egypt. And for 400 years, they were there. And that small family became too numerous that the Egyptians were afraid of them. And when God brought them out, they brought them to a promised land called Canaan, which is still about where you see uh, the Middle East right now. Um, So that was uh, where it is, Jerusalem at the moment. After that, God made them a great nation. So this is the first movement. Okay, we have three movements. This is the first movement where God promised all peoples on earth will be blessed through the son of Abraham. But now before we move to the second movement, are you with me? Before we move to the second movement, I want to tell you that the Jews, when they were reading or who are listening to Matthew, they all knew that none of the three movements of 14 generation managed to do what God promised to Abraham. None of them became a blessing to all peoples on earth. So those who are reading this already knew that the three movement didn't make it. And they, there must be someone who is greater. And that's where Matthew begins his first chapter, his first sentence, to make the claim, you know what? Jesus is the one. It's a very big claim before I even tell the story. And it's a big claim that the whole Old Testament has not been able to fulfill. But let's move on to the second movement because there's more stories and more promises from God that will be even bigger. So as we move on to the second movement of 14 generation, God once again reveals his plan, but this time with greater depth. So if you're quickly you're still wearing your kind of Jewish lens, right? I'm assuming that you're gonna wear it with me. And you look at the next fourteen names Okay, if you look at the next 14 names from verse 6 to 11, you don't have to pronounce it, just look at the piece of passage from 6 to 11. But if you are a Jew, you will notice that all of the names are kings. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotam, Ahaz, yes, the terrible Ahaz, if you uh, heard of him um you know, preaching some time back, Hezekiah, and the list goes on. But yeah, if you look at this whole list, there's only one who is mentioned and given a title king. Can you spot which one was it? The whole 14 list, they're all kings, but only one of them has the title king. Can anyone spot from 6 to 11? Anyone? David, yes, verse 6. He's the only one with the title king, even though they're all kings. They're all sons of David. Do you know why? I think this is the reason. When Matthew writes this, he is pointing that there's only one king who has received God's promise. And this is God's promise to that king. Let me read to you God's promise to King David. It's recorded in the Old Testament again. It's in this book called Second Samuel in the seventh chapter. Let me read to you what God promised David, and you will see that this is built upon his promise to Abraham. So Second Samuel 7, let me read verse 12. When your days, David, are over, 
Is, is it on the screen? Yes. And you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the kingdom of your son forever. So this is what God has promised. In the first movement, God said, through the offspring of Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And then it comes to David, through your son, he will establish a perfect kingdom that will rule forever. You know, if um, it sounds pretty weird if we, if we hear this, this king that will rule forever because how does a king rule forever? This is probably a question that is hard to answer until Matthew comes in. You know, we remember in, um, in the first movement, none of Abraham's son managed to fulfill what God promised. If you look at the second movement, none of the kings did what God has promised David. None of them managed to do the same as well. In fact, it is if you look at the storyline, everything is going it's kind of spiral downhill after David. Okay? Everything goes downhill after David. Right after David died, his son, Solomon, became king. He's the wisest son. But guess how many uh, wives and concubines he has? He's got a thousand. I can't remember. How do you even remember your wife's name if you've got a thousand wives and concubines? Forget about the children, right? Um, and after Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became king. And he was an atrocious king. And I think if David is in his grave, he'll be flipping because Rehoboam comes in and he was so cruel that the kingdom of 12 tribes split into two. He keeps two tribes and 10 tribes went off and the lease goes on until eventually David's kingdom crashes down in 586 BC where the whole Israel was taken over by the nation called Babylon. So if you are a Jew wearing glasses, you know everything is going downhill after David. Uh, and he did. Now perhaps this is yours and my experience. You know the reality is there can be good governments and in some countries there can be good kings. But you can never have a totally powerful, totally wise and totally selfless king. There is none. And you can never have a king that will live long enough that he will gather nations from all ends of the earth to himself and make it perfect. But that's what God promised um, David and none of the sons could ever fulfill that. Just as when that is kind of the impossibility, Matthew <laughs> chapter 1, verse 1 says, Hello, yes, there's one. His name is Jesus. So you, you realize that it's just verse 1 of this whole book and he's putting a lot of expectation on what is to come that we'll explore for the next six months or so. So this is what happens. None will ever be able to gather and bless the whole world as a king. But Matthew said there is one. His name is Jesus. Now by now, a Jew, if you're a Jew, you'll be curious how Jesus could actually wear such big pair of shoes. You've seen Ronald McDonald's shoes, it's quite big, right? But how is Jesus going to wear the big shoes that Matthew is claiming? Now perhaps we will ask the same question. Can Jesus really do that? Can Jesus really bless the nation? Can Jesus' kingdom really gather him, gather people to him? 
But now for this moment, I want you to take out your Jewish glasses. I want, to put on, I want you to put on your Singapore glasses and you look around the world and you start to realize there are billions of people who call Jesus King and it's still growing. Who would have expected it? But now let's wear back our Jewish lenses because we have more to explore in this final movement. But let me reverse one for us again so that we can get the picture and we can see where Matthew is driving to. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read this again. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now as you look at this one verse, there is just one more word in this sentence that we need to understand. Which word do you think it is? It's the word Messiah. Messiah is actually a Hebrew word. Some of your Bibles say Christ, which is the same word, but it's in Greek. But what does Messiah and Christ mean? In English, it means anointed. Okay, But we don't really use the word anointed because we keep to its original context when we talk about Jesus. But the word means anointed. You know, in ancient times, when there's a, someone who's very special and is meant to do a big task, maybe a priest or a king, you pour oil on his head. That's why you call it anointed. And here... Jesus, uh, Matthew says that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now before God punishes people into rebellion where the kings go down here into Babylon, God actually gave a promise to the people of Israel when they're all going down here before they reach their pit. God actually said to them that after I have punished you for being rebellious, I will once again give you hope. This is what God said before they went to exile. He says, I will punish you, and it did happen, but I will come back for you. And God gave a promise in this another Old Testament book called Isaiah. It's a group from chapter 7 to 9, but one verse is quoted here, and let me just read it for us and see if you can spot it in Matthew chapter 1. This is uh, taken from Isaiah chapter 7, 14. I'll read it from Isaiah and see if you can spot it. This is the promise. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. This is a promise God gave before they went downhill in the third movement. And so just the right timing, the Messiah is to appear the first, the promise of the son of Abraham in the first movement. And then second, the promise of the son of David in the second movement. And third, the promise of a Messiah after the third movement from exile to the birth of the Messiah as promised by God. So if you're at the third movement with me still, at just the right timing comes this unusual birth of Jesus, the Messiah. His birth was more unusual and more spectacular than the birth of Isaac itself, even though Isaac's birth created the nation. But Jesus' birth was more spectacular. It was not for an old childless couple. Jesus' birth was through a young virgin. If you have more questions on that, you can ask during Q&A. Uh, we'd love to discuss that. As it has been prophesied, because this is what God said in Isaiah 7, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So painting the context of this promise that God gives 
in Isaiah, we need to understand what is happening in the book of Isaiah at that time. I'll just paint the picture for you. At that time, God's people, they suffered because of their sins. And guess Ahaz is in the picture. They rebelled against God and Isaiah promised that even as God will become silent and become far away, which is what, if you look at the whole third movement, God is pretty silent there. Even though God was silent and seemed far away, even when darkness loomed, this is uh, the words from Isaiah 7-9, to even as darkness loomed over God's people, suddenly this child will appear in history and God will send light into darkness. People walking in darkness will once again see light. And when this child comes, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God says, on, and that, at that time, not, will, not only will I open my mouth and speak to you, I will dwell with you. Dear friends, you know, Jews are not the only one who faces darkness in their life. The whole humanity, we face darkness in our lives. When we cannot find the true meaning in life, we try to define our own. When we cannot resolve how justice can be administered fairly in the whole world, we just switch off our TV. When we cannot resolve the evil inside us, when we hurt the people we claim to love, and we ask, why do I do what I do not want to do? We cannot resolve what comes after death, and so we often ignore it. You put those aging homes far away from the city, you put the cemeteries away from people's sight, because we can't deal with darkness. So dear friends, the Jews are not the only ones who face darkness in life, but God says in the Bible, even as darkness looms over those who belong to Him, light will once again appear in history. God will send light into darkness. People walking in darkness will see light. And Matthew said, He is here. This is what Matthew is trying to review from verse 1 to verse 17. And what comes for the rest of Matthew will be nothing less than spectacular. So I hope you don't hop off the bus today and forget to come back. But you'll come back and hear all the things that will happen and be spoken because there will be far greater light at the coming of Jesus than the whole Israel's history that they have been waiting for. Because when Jesus comes, the light will be much brighter than they had ever seen. But now let me read to us this unusual account of the birth of Jesus the Messiah in verse 18, since it has been prophesied. And let me just read it to us, because this is a detailed look at the ending of the third movement. So let me read verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, this miraculous virgin birth of Jesus through the Holy Spirit was confirmed by the prophecy and also confirmed by the first witness, which is Joseph himself. Look at, look at this passage, verse 18 and 19 onwards, and see there's this very interesting narrative here that is um, given to us. Read in verse 19, Joseph was actually a very righteous man. He keeps the law, but at the same time, he's also a very compassionate man. It's not easy to find someone like that. He's righteous, but he's so compassionate. But being righteous means that Joseph, he would not be able to marry Mary, if she committed adultery. 
Because if you are righteous and you keep God's law, you love God more than anything else. So you cannot marry, marry. Right? But at the same time, he's so compassionate. He doesn't want to divorce her openly because the tradition, whether it's practiced or not, the tradition of the Jews, you stone the adulteress. So he's a compassionate man. He sees, oh, she's pregnant. I know it's not mine. I mean, it's not mine. Come on. And he said, how can I be righteous and still be compassionate? And he says, this is what I'll do. I'll divorce her quietly because I love my God, but I don't want her to die. But after she has, he has decided that, verse 20 comes in, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, it's not son of Jacob, which is in the genealogy, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord who appeared to Joseph not only revealed that it is a miraculous birth, the angel commanded Joseph to take Mary as his wife. And so the very act of the righteous Joseph taking Mary home to be his wife, which is very costly to his own reputation, affirmed that he's convinced that Mary's pregnancy was not from humans. It's not of sexual union. It is from God's Holy Spirit because he's a righteous man. And when he does that, it's because he himself is totally convinced this is not an adultery. This is God's promise to the world. So as we kind of round up today's um, passage and the tree movement, we may still have this question. And the question is this. But what kind of blessing will Jesus bring? What kind of king will Jesus be? And what sort of things will Jesus say and do? Is it, Matthew, I just painted a very big call for him, isn't it? And um, Matthew better live out to it, or Jesus better live out to it. To answer these questions, I'll invite you to keep coming back in the weeks to come as we dig into the book of Matthew and more about Jesus. But just for this afternoon, I would like to introduce you to the person and works of Jesus through the words of the angel himself in verse 21. This will be the verse, the last verse I'll read uh, for us and explain it a little bit for us. Verse 21, this is what the angel says, She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus, he actually did not enter the world through a perfect people. He actually entered the world through a mixed bag of genealogy. Um, if you're a Jew, right, because you're not, you wouldn't have noticed this because I was just talking. But if you're a Jew, you, you have stopped me at my third minute and said, Wait, Andrew, this genealogy, look at this, it's weird. And let me tell you what's weird. If you're a Jew, you have spotted this in the first 30 seconds because in a normal genealogy, women don't come in. Not to mention weird ones. But look at what happened. Look at verse 3. It says... There was a woman by the name Tamar, verse 3. You know who's Tamar? Tamar was a woman who disguised herself as a prostitute and she had children with her father-in-law to keep the lineage. That's the lineage of, of Jesus, of King David. And then you move on, verse 5, Rahab. Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute who joined the ranks of God's people after the fall of Jericho. You have Ruth, verse 5, a Moabite woman. We have verse 6, Bathsheba. Wait. <laughs> Look at verse 6. Her name is not even there. Right? She was recorded as Uriah's wife. 
King David's whole lineage of kings came through Uriah's wife. This great King David, at his lowest point, he committed adultery. He killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And through her came to the rest, came the rest of the kings in the second movement that we have. So if, if you look at the genealogy, which the Jews will not deny, David, as well as King Jesus, they did not enter our world through a perfect people. And he did not come to this world for perfect people. He came to the world through a mixed bag of genealogy to save a mixed bag of people. And this is good news for us because that means that Jesus is here for us as well. And this is not just the Jews' issue, but it is for us. Because the angel told Joseph this, look at the verse, told Joseph that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. It means Jesus came to save people from their rebellions against God, from their evil thoughts, their evil deeds, from the hurts inflicted on others, and from their self-centeredness and all the sins in their lives. And this is not the Jews' problem alone. This is the world's problem because we too rebel against God. We too have evil thoughts, evil deeds. We too inflict hurts to people we love because sometimes we are just too self-centered and we want to be our own boss. But this is the story and the introduction of Jesus that He came into our dark world to save people from their sins. And all people on earth who comes to Him can be His people and God's way to bless the world, to rule the world, to save the world is through Jesus. And that is exactly what the name Jesus means. The name Jesus is a, is a Greek name. Its it, Hebrew uh, equivalent is Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. So do you see how appropriate that his name is just at the beginning and the story where he's leading? That he's here to bless the world, to rule the world, and to save the world. So how will the world respond to Him? Come back next week and we'll see how the world responds to Him. But let me close this time with just one reflective question for us to think for the rest of the week that you can write in your little booklet if you want. And this is my question for this week. As you examine your own life, your thoughts, your past, your attitudes towards God and others, do you see a need for rescue? Let me say that without a bracket. If you examine your own life, do you see a need for rescue? Forget about other people, just think about ourselves reflectively for this week. Do we need rescue? Um, this is a reflective question, and I've got these two invitations. I'm just going to flesh it out. Uh, the next page. Uh, is there a next page? Yeah, um, this is what I'll say. Um, if you have time, you can start reading and start putting in your questions and we can examine it together and join us next week. But let me pray for us and then we'll have a short time of Q&A um, if there are questions that you have. Let's pray. Dear Father, what a big call in this first verse of Matthew in the New Testament. Jesus will be here to bless, to rule and to save. But God, how wonderful it is to know that you still care for a world that has turned away. So Father, we pray as we continue to study your word, 
week by week, that God, you will unravel for us the amazing Jesus, the words he say, the works he does, and who he is. So we thank you and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.